Yeah, all you see is ghosts. That'd be pretty good. I'm Zach. I'm Riff. And I'm Kevin. We talked about this, Kevin. You never go full frustic. Really? How about full frustic? Well, full frustic storm. Frustic storm. Yeah, that was a joke about uh, breakfast storm, breakfast or tower. Breakfast tower. Yeah, this is video games hot dog a podcast in which we make jokes about other podcasts and trips to Germany that none of our listeners were on. <laughs> some, Neither was Riff. Some of our listeners yeah. might have been it's only on two thirds of the of the cast were actually on it. Speaking of trips to Germany, but I we've forgot all had one of the breakfast. games that I played. <laughs> we have all had breakfast. What did you have for breakfast today, Riff? Uh, I had actually a, uh, I had a sandwich, um, I had, it was a peanut butter sandwich, but with a, uh, a slice of hot toast in the middle of it. Wait, so it was bread, <laughs> peanut butter, toast, peanut butter, bread? Uh, one of the peanut butters was jelly, but yes. Huh, so you didn't actually mix the peanut butter and the jelly. Correct. They were segregated. Yeah. PBTJ. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It puts like the hot crunch in the middle of your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It was interesting. I, I find that like in a in a tuna fish sandwich that I have mixed with a bunch of Miracle Whip because that's how I roll. Ugh. Uh, Ugh. I want I want to put in a bunch of potato chips to add a crunch. Potato chips I don't, are good in that sort of sandwich. Sure. I don't yeah. want like celery or no, onion or any of that. Celery. You know what I find is that I'm the only motherfucker on this podcast who eats like a grown-ass man. <laughs> is that is that when you take an entire, entire full piece yeah, of celery on a log? Yeah, and fill fill it with peanut butter and put uh, just a shit ton of. I didn't raisins? say eat like an adult. <laughs> yeah, bugs. The bugs are raisins, Kevin. It's not like literal bugs on a log. I don't know. You're not going to eat a log. You could. Oh man, do you guys remember it's when you would good try to execute the command catalog in a basic program on the Apple II and it would translate that into C at A log, which would then generate a syntax error? No. You mm. don't remember that at all. I don't remember that at all. Anyway, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are for babies. Miracle Whip is for I don't even fucking know what. Miracle Whip is like, disgusting. It, like it's pre- like goblin cum. Pre diabetic. You guys are like, so wrong. I don't even have to argue with Hellman's you. mayonnaise or best foods if you live on the other side of the country. That's how no. it is. Uh, how about mustard? Mustard, mustard is also fine, but... Like God intended. No, mustard in your tuna fish. That's what he's awesome. talking about. He's not talking about, like, it's also, a, like, it's, uh, it is a, an orthogonal would, condiment. Put, he will use it a little in place in of mayonnaise. There, for not, yeah, I would not replace the mayonnaise with mustard. I, I would do the mayonnaise and then add a little mustard to give it a little... You what know, you guys don't know extra. is that I have been feeding you just, like, solidified Miracle Whip for years now, and you guys have not complained at all, so just, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, those weird you salty those popsicles you were really us? marshmallows? Yes. Everything, every solid white food you have eaten for years has been various forms of Miracle Whip that I have just been, oh. just been feeding you over and over again because oh. I was like, I'm going to show yeah, these man. bastards and I'm, I'm going to reveal it when it is most advantageous to me in an argument. And that, that moment is right now. Yeah. Wow. You're right. I'm, I'm dumbstruck. You're taking it back, aren't you? Hmm. Taking it all back. Seriously though, when you're camping... Bag of tuna, 
a couple of a uh, couple of spicy mustard that you steal from the Chinese restaurant. You don't steal it from the Chinese restaurant. Maybe you order takeout and they give it to you, and you don't put the spicy mustard on your Chinese food. You put it in a drawer. You put it in a rare sauce drawer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's not a rare sauce drawer. It's yeah. a just a sauce drawer. No, it's a rare sauce drawer. No, because then it's not exciting to get the rare sauce. Hmm, uh, for those listeners sense. who don't work at our office, <laughs> uh, the rare sauce drawer. The sauce drawer is a drawer that Riff keeps in the refrigerator that's filled with sauce packets from from various restaurants yeah. that he never empties because having a huge collection of sauce that he doesn't know how long ago it's from affords him the occasional opportunity to encounter a rare sauce. <laughs> like, oh wow, this is from this is from uh, back when McDonald's still used Verdana on their ketchup packets. <laughs> Man, when you say it that way, it makes me sound like a crazy person. <laughs> Do you have one of those sauce packets that's like four different color separations of a packet of sauce? What? Yeah, As, I'm, not, I'm not getting it. Sure. It wasn't a very good joke. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> CMYK sauce? What have you guys been up to? Uh, I started reading the, the, um, the Berserk manga on the advice of Cole and Gary. Okay. Due to its connection to the uh, Dark Souls series. It's pretty good. It's got some sweet monster and demon designs, if you like crazy, fucked up looking Cronenberg monsters. What are Cronenberg monsters? Uh, imagine like, like like body horror blob character from the sort of thing that you might see in a Cronenberg movie. Like David Cronenberg? Yeah. Marv Cronenberg. I'm trying to think of the David Cronenberg films that I've seen, and none of them have like creatures. Yeah, like in them, The but... Fly. Okay. All right. And so yeah, I have not seen a lot of Cronenberg, but they are referred. Those sorts of monsters have been referred to as Cronenbergs in in uh, this cartoon that I've been watching. Have you guys watched uh, Rick and Morty yet? No. Nope. Oh my god. Okay. It, you can get there's like a couple episodes of it for free to just watch on the Adult Swim site. You have to check it out. It's, it's what, what the most it? awesomest thing since uh, Adventure Time. Okay, so Rick and Morty is a show about a, a kind of dim-witted kid named Morty and his super genius, mad scientist, alcoholic grandfather, Rick, and the insane cross-dimensional adventures that they go on. So it's like Peabody and Sherman... <clears throat> yes, except a somewhat more abusive and weird relationship. Huh. That sounds it's, like something that I could I could get behind. It's really good. Yep. Too busy watching Archer, which Riff you would like if you knew what was good for you. I tried. I, See, that I should give like a Archer threat. another. I should give Archer another chance. I will admit, but I watched like the first two or three episodes and just did not like any of the characters and the fact that they get like their, the characters the fact that they get their comeuppets in the end was was not enough for me to enjoy watching the show but uh one of these days i'll give it another shot yeah i, I, I do I, I do like h john benjamin i'm gonna agree that archer is worth watching what does the h in h john benjamin stand for i don't know hank holy what does the h in aisha tyler stand for Hot tank. Come on, Kevin. She's she's an attractive lady. Try to try to act like a grown up. 
Oh, it's not it's not grown up to think that people are attractive? No, what not what black planet people. do you live in? <laughs> Whoa. Hmm. <clears throat> so what have you guys been up to besides reading Berserk? <laughs> uh that's pretty much it if if we're not in the video games portion yet for me. Really? Berserk and video games and that's it? Yeah, pretty much. Berserk I, is a video game. I've I've been in a massive Dark Souls hole. Dark Souls like, 2? Yeah. Okay. We went to GDC. Yeah. And it was fucking exhausting. Yeah, it was. It. I know it's only been two weeks since our last confession, but it feels like a month and a half. It feels like six entire weeks. Yeah. Six weeks worth of things happened. We had a party, and then we had a convention, and then we went to another party. We had, well, and some of us had a, a party, and then... A day of convention, and then a party, and then a day of convention, and then a party. That's true. I started skipping parties at the end. And days of convention by the end. Yeah, that's true. I got peopled out. I remembered all of a sudden that I was an introvert. Because <laughs> I woke up and I was like, I'm too tired to do anything other than just sit here and not talk to anybody. We met all we met all the video games mans, and it was pretty good. Yeah, that was that was great. This year, this year was definitely sort of a sea change where we, we finally, finally knew, knew enough people that yeah. we knew everybody. No, no, we didn't even know close to everybody, but we knew enough people that like it, it it was fine to just wander around and you'd run into people that you knew and they like you just started like the the number of people that you interact with just begins to exponentiate because people introduce you to their friends and it's just it's like at this the point, stress starts fine. to come not from scanning the room to desperately cling to the one person you know but managing deciding which of the eight people you know to go talk to mm, sure and about what and oh man did these people have like a torrid affair and they hate each other now i can't talk to both of them at the same time yeah <laughs> we got to hang out a bunch with uh with draken which was cool i uh, miss him yeah, I wish great. he was on every podcast. Yeah, not even just ours, like just every podcast. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. He would be. He would just be a great addition to Giant every... Bomb and Draken. Yep. Radio Lab and Draken. Uh, he. I was. I was present when he um, managed to get a hyper peg into a hyper hole. <laughs> huh. Yeah. That sounds maybe dirty. It, and then somebody threw a dirty, frisbee at your girlfriend's face. Yeah. Yeah. I got mad at some people at a party, and I yelled at a guy, and it didn't accomplish anything, and then I felt impotent and embarrassed. That's frustrating. I hate those kinds of situations. Yeah, it really is. Basically, there was this party, uh, and somebody had set up, like, a fucking frisbee golf goal at one end of this packed courtyard full of people. And so a bunch of people were, like, at the other end of the courtyard, just throwing frisbees down this channel full of people with cocktails in their hands. And, like, after the third person they hit, I just went and I took the fucking goal and I moved it into a corner where they couldn't throw it at it anymore because what the fuck? And then the guy was like, what's up, the man? What are you trying to do? Stomp on all over our fund, the man. And I just, I yelled at him. I was like, maybe knock it the fuck off. Like, this is an inappropriate venue for this thing that you're doing. But then he just took the thing and moved it back. Kept throwing the fucking frisbees. And I just sat there like a pussy. Not kicking that guy's ass and getting thrown <laughs> out of a party. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like escalating it further would have would have not gotten anything accomplished positively. I gotta quit drinking. <laughs> <laughs> he says. Most of GDC was great. Yeah. I was mad when somebody threw a frisbee, a frisbee at your girlfriend's face. I, I mean, 
It's not that they threw it at her face. It just it hit her in the face. No, it's like, let's not let a bunch of drunk nerds throw frisbees that best case scenario are a foot from four different people yes. as they're flying towards the fucking frisbee goal yeah. at this industry party. Agreed. Why was there a frisbee goal there? Because when it was empty, it was fun to play with, right? Like, we got there right as it opened, and there was just an empty courtyard, and it was fine, right? Like, it would it became more and more inappropriate as the evening wore on. And this is going to be another Mega 64 situation where somebody's going to post this audio of me complaining about whoever the probably super popular beloved on YouTube and Reddit person who set up this mm-hmm. fucking Frisbee mm-hmm. goal mm-hmm. is... No, why are you trying to stop Dude. everybody from having a good time? How dare you have fun? It's a party. Fucking it's, butthole. It's okay. That's what they'll say. It's okay that, that every not everyone is right all the time, including these Frisbee people. They were yeah. right for a while, and then they became wrong. Oh, man, remember that Comic-Con where Mega64 kept having those awesome parties that everybody loved because they were super fun? Yeah. Yeah, that was great. And we weren't even, like, right next to them. We were, like, a couple booths down, and it was still just the most obnoxious thing that had happened in a long time. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. Remember, remember that time for one shining moment, there were YouTube comments about me. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, GDC was great, except yeah. for that one frisbee douche. Uh, I'm sorry, that one frisbee gentleman, <laughs> right? Who I'm that, sure is great. That party was at the one of the coolest venues I've been to in a while. It was in an old, uh, the old San Francisco Mint building. Uh, so it had like a giant vault that you could hang out in. It had uh, a bunch of like Andy Warhol esque paintings of hundred thousand dollar bills on the wall and color separations of packets of sauce. <laughs> sure, sure. Like you know, like sauce that's so old that Andy Warhol was contemporary when the sauce was put in the package. Mm. Like a joke about old sauce uh, that didn't work at all. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, man. I had the best idea the other day. I found a text file. Every once in a while, I will find a text file <laughs> that I leave for myself. And uh, so so the idea is that it's a sketch where it's, a, it's Rodney Dangerfield doing a stand-up routine, but all he is doing is telling these super boring anecdotes about things that were contemporary when Rodney Dangerfield was popular. Huh. So it's like, you know, so I was watching a new episode of Cheers the other day, and I tell you, I get no respect. <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on like that. Until okay. you want to die. So here's something that maybe I'm just I, you don't think I've that's never a good noticed. Bit. I think that's a really good bit. Is Andy is Andy War are the are the Andy Warhol prints are they actual color separations of like a color image or are they just screen prints of the same image in three or four? I think they're colors? screen prints of the same yeah, in, image think, in a bunch I of different colors. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That because suddenly I was like, oh wait, that maybe that actually makes them much cooler if they actually are different color channels of something that is then printed in like separately next to each other. And, and I was like, oh. That could be actually really interesting, but no, it's just it's just the same thing printed over and over again. I, I think Andy Warhol is a good example of why you can't j- judge art by what is actually the text of it. Because I feel like the reason that Andy Warhol was important is because Andy Warhol stumbled onto exactly how to be really important in the very specific context in which he was operating. What does that mean? Like how to be important? I don't know. Uh, I mean, if I knew I would be really important and you would have heard of me. (laughs) 
Hmm. But it's like, it's not that Beatles songs are the best song. Right. It's that. It's that they played them for 10,000 hours. Yeah, sure. Sure. It's that they 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 were all born in January. And so they're really good at music. They sang them in Germany for, for a long time. In obscurity until they got them just right. You're just mad because Malcolm Gladwell is more popular than you are. He's written 10,000 books. I, well. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying about art is that the context does matter, right? It's not that Beatles songs are the best songs. It's that if you look at what the Beatles did early in their career and then look at what the Beatles did like three years later... The first stuff sounds like music from a certain era, and the second stuff sounds like music from a later era, because what they did was kind of make music different. Oh, interesting. By making different kinds of music. And like, Think it's, of what they could have done if they were is, writing one book an hour, though. <laughs> none of it is individually impressive in the same way that like you watch Citizen Kane, and you're like, what's the big deal? It's a fucking oh, sure. flashback. But then it's like, that was the first time that had ever happened. Okay. And like, people understood what was going on. Most of them probably didn't understand what was like wait a minute the main character is suddenly a kid what is this no no they're like what is this a second movie inside my movie i don't get this <laughs> yeah did the projectionist fuck up are they playing this in the wrong order was this movie supposed to be 50 years long and they're just putting the reels <laughs> in the wrong order yeah i'm pretty sure that's what happened there was a panic and a bunch of people committed suicide because they thought a sled was on fire <laughs> they all got hit by a virtual train i'm sorry I interrupted your story for some real dumb bullshit in a long chain. I don't even remember what you were talking about. I Probably wasn't, I, neither I do you. Oh, we were just talking, I was just talking about the... Uh, the Mint. The Mint, yeah. It's just a great building. It's just like, it feels like a place that you want to break into at night and steal a diamond. Right? Like, hmm. I had never been in a place that, that felt so strongly of that for a party, you know? The irony of the humble bundle people yeah. having a party in the mint was was not lost next year's gdc <laughs> party is at fort knox right um someone went... should do someone should do a larp thing except it you're larping like a heist yeah i'm sure that that's been done you think so at an actual bank and you don't tell any of the people that work <laughs> at the bank that it's happening because that makes it more authentic sure if I, I've, I've told the story of the, the LARP that my friend wrote where we were all ostensibly on a train and like there was, a, you know, somebody was killed on the train and um, there was this giant diamond that was like lost and whatever. And like he just put it in the little ice chest that had all the drinks and like just let whatever happened with that happen and somebody found it. Hmm. Right. Like I thought that was super brilliant. Because it's like, it's risky. Oh yeah, sure. It could have just sat there the whole night, you know. Like, any number of different things could have happened, but like, it was great. Like that's that is Someone the kind could of have choked on it. Sure, that's true. Could have just ended up in somebody's drink, thrown away. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that's that's super great. Like, was what, it a like, real diamond? No, it's not a real diamond. <sighs> uh, what else did we do at GDC? I went to I went to a bunch of talks. Um, I saw a bunch of game demos, which I can talk about. Yeah. I guess that's a good segue into what you've been playing. Um, so, I went to the Experimental Game Workshop, 
uh, which is where they just, I've, I've talked about this a couple of times from previous GDCs, where they just have a bunch of sort of different game styles and projects that people have been working on. Um, I guess they had like 180 submissions this past year, and they chose 15 or something to, to demo. Um, the ones that I, saw, that, I, that I thought were particularly interesting were um, Hack and Slash, which was one of the Amnesia Fortnite games. Um, it's weird because I think of the experimental games thing there as being less a thing where Double Fine would show something. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all over the place. I think that they're, you know, I think they're okay with it being from wherever, right? Because who else showed a game that was... Uh, Harmonix showed their, their new... Oh, their shooter thing? Their shooter thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess... It's different, you know, right? There's no rule that says a bigger outfit can't do something experimental. Yeah. It's just... And that was, like, it looked okay, but, like, not something that I was excited about. I'm sure that there are other people who are, like, really thrilled about that I idea. feel like there's probably people who like rhythm games and also like multiplayer shooters that are interested in that crossover. And, and given that we don't really like multiplayer shooters. There was, so the, the concept video was super cool for that, where there was a guy sort of running around an environment blowing stuff up with a like a wub wub gun <laughs> basically like a you know the what is it the dubstep, the dubstep gun from dubstep Saints gun Row from Saints Row 4 yeah like and then this girl sort of like comes in around and like jumps over his beam of, of whatever and shoots him with like this classical music cannon that just de- de-reses him or whatever the cannon in D <laughs> yeah exactly uh, uh, yeah so that was pretty great um, so Hack and Slash is the the premise of the game is super Compelling, and then we'll see if they can sort of deliver on it. Where it's like a Zelda game, but uh, you ha- instead of a sword, you have a little USB cable that you can plug into objects and hack their attributes. Mm. Um, and it gets more involved after that, but like that's sort of the basic idea. And so you can like make a wall not solid. You can like change the friction on something to move it out of the way or whatever. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it. It is. I wonder if it's going to run into more like, limited in that way. But what I would worry about is that running into the scribble knots problem, where every puzzle becomes just trivial to solve. Yeah, that's that is why I think it's going to depend on how they how they design the levels and stuff. Like, I mean, I could certainly imagine them saying like, "Well, for a while, you can only edit properties that start with R or whatever, and then yeah, make it so I think you that's a little ham-fisted. I think just well, having having a limited set of properties on objects for a while or or something is like a, a way to to do that. Yeah, you know, like limited to the ones that start with R. Sure. Um, I got to play. I actually got to play Speed Chess for a while. Is that a game that Bennett Foddy made? Yeah, he doesn't like chess for a lot of the reasons that I don't like chess, um, which I thought was was a, a compelling uh, start. You're both assholes. We both appreciate the game in sort of an ideal sense, but neither of us wants, neither of us is particularly good at it. And neither of us wants to learn a bunch of set moves and strategies and stuff like that. It's just, we're not going to ever, I think I actually feel the exact same way about chess that you do. Okay. So so I enjoyed playing chess when I played chess, but once I got to the point where it was like, all right, to get better at chess, I'm going to have to do a bunch of shit that isn't fun. Right. I just decided not to be any better at chess. So speed chess... I decided. If I wanted to, I could be a fucking chess master 4,000. <laughs> <laughs> is a 16-player game, eight people per side, 
um, where you take control of a piece, a chess piece, and there is no check or checkmate. It's just literally capturing the, the opposing side's king, and you can just move as fast as you want yeah. with <laughs> your given piece. And, That's interesting. Yeah, and the games are usually pretty fast, like five seconds, ten seconds. Um, I didn't understand what was going on in that video that I saw. I thought I didn't realize it was a 16 player game. Yes. That's going to be real hard to get a scene going. Well, and so that's like, that is one of the primary issues that he was talking about is that there's just nowhere that this game makes any sense to, to exhibit really. It's, it is hard to show. It's hard to get a screen that's large enough with people for people to actually not be like blocking the screen while they're playing. It's hard to have a device with 32 controllers. Well, 16, you only need 16. It's eight, eight people per side. Not, oh, you're not controlling 16. two pieces each? No, you, no, you are just controlling one, but you have to you select which piece you're, you're moving, which is actually better, because there are pieces that just can't move at the, the start of a game anyway, right? You yeah, which way you kick the people in front of you. Get your sure. fucking pawns out of the way. Um, but it was it's actually fun, and, and what he said, is, and I can see how this would happen, is the individual matches are not particularly interesting. It's sort of the metagame that happens around repeated games with the same groups of people um because there's there's a couple of pretty strong strategies like taking a pawn and very quickly like taking a pawn that's like one or two ranks away from the king very quickly getting to the opponent's side and capturing diagonally twice once or twice um and so like you need to prepare to fight those by either moving the king or you know blocking all the pawns that can do that easily or whatever but in doing so, then new strategies emerge, and so there's like this sort of like ebb and flow of strategies that that come into existence and then get countered by p- groups of people that are playing with each other in sort of repetition. The king in that situation becomes much more interesting offensively. Yeah, no, the king can fight the other right, king like if you can move into if you can move into check. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's happening super fast. Yeah. Is, the, is the other thing? It's like it is it is extremely difficult. It's probably impossible to actually know know what's going on. Take on the take the board state into consideration the whole time, um, but you can keep little bits of it going. Um, let's see here, um, Bounden was pretty interesting. That was a game that the way that it works is two people hold on to a phone um, from opposite sides, and then um, they are attempting to cl- together get little discs into goals that are on a rotating sphere that they can see on the phone. And what, what happens is basically is that the two of them start sort of doing these sort of classical dances together, um, which is super interesting to watch. And because the, the way that the, the thing moves requires you to interact with your partner in sort of this interesting kind of neat sort of collaborative dance. Um, and I, I would be—I didn't get to try it, but I'd, I'd definitely be interested in sort of seeing how that feels um, kinetically. Um, but it was just a neat idea that I'm—I'm I'm curious. What Hearing you describe it, it reminds me of that thing, that game that I fucking hated on that weird round table at Indiecade that we played, where it was like a bunch of people using a touch screen that had to sort of collaboratively right. play a really slowed down. V- like six player version of super hexagon this this was only of. two people and i think it's i think i think it is a lot easier to coordinate with a partner oh sure in that regard but yeah i can see what you're saying um 
there was Elegy for a De- Dead World, which the the story is that they discover this like portal or rift to another, like to a couple of different sort of worlds and send a ship there with a bunch of scientists or whatever and the ship crashes and you're the only survivor and you're a poet and your job is to to catalog and explain this world for earth because you're the only person that will ever see it and like that's that's the the backstory and then the idea is like this is that one throwaway line from contact the game kind of but like (laughs) and they're having a really hard time getting it to work because people they they find that people tend to be a lot more descriptive than poetic when they are forced to what does the gameplay actually consist of i mean you're supposed to write a poem because of course nobody's good at that like the idea is that that's the idea is that you are supposed to write a poem describing these these sort of hauntingly beautiful ruined worlds that you encounter you know i it is super interesting and the idea is that you then encounter the writings of other players you know, again, this is experimental gameplay, right? So who knows what the hell's going to happen if if they figure out how to make it into a thing, right? Like, super, super interesting ideas. So, like, the Gleaming Spire looked like a cock. <laughs> sure. Yeah. The two domes. Um, <laughs> like balls. And then, have you guys heard of Fru? F-R-U? Uh-uh. This was a, a game jam game that is super super clever basically they uh they happened to they wanted to make a platformer um and happened to have a connect there and they were like just screwing around with like sort of seeing how they could no i guess they didn't they didn't start wanting to make a platformer they, they just had a connect and they were just trying to figure out what to do and like it's it you know they started just seeing if they had like eight people standing behind each other where they get like a weird like person with 16 arms kind of thing and sure that worked fine and then they had the idea of masking a video game with the connect um silhouette so you you could only like they basically put braid behind a silhouette and you could only see the parts of the level that you were that the camera was like showing you masking on like a a wall or whatever does this make sense so far Hmm. like connect can see your silhouette and so it, it can render that silhouette on a screen, okay. right? And if you then... So there's just a U-sized hole yes. in the it, opaque sheet of construction paper yes. it's pretending is in front of the screen. Okay. Okay. So that was, that was their like, oh, that's sort of an interesting idea. And then they had the revelation that, wait a second, what if that opaque sheet in front is a platforming game and the sheet behind it is also a platforming game, but they're different levels... And you, you physically, your body is a gateway between the two of them. And so you have to manipulate your body to create sequences of platforms that the character can jump on. Who's controlling the character? You are. Okay. You have, you have the controller in one hand and are, you have to move and jump with one hand while you are like moving your, your arms and legs and body around. Is it like one stick, one trigger? To move and jump, or yeah. how are you doing? Yeah, sticking a trigger huh. on either side. You can just do one hand. Yep. That's cool. Yep. Interesting. And it was and like they had they had exa- like about five or six example levels, and they were all super cool. Do they like put a silhouette on the screen and say move until you match this silhouette so that you're the right distance from the connect? Like I don't think or so. It's like no, we can make this game a lot harder by taking one step backwards. 
I, I think that, you know, like figuring out different ways to do it is huh. super cool. They like, it, it's just neat that, and like just the like that is the first connect game that I've ever heard about that I was actually interested. Yeah, in no, playing. this, this like, this was like, okay, yeah, this, this makes a lot of sense. This is like a, a way in which having to move your body around actually begins to make sense. And like, is actually mentally taxing. And then some of the, like, like there was one, so like one of the mechanics that they have is like some of the, the to get to the next level, you go through a door. Some of the doors are locked and to, open the door the locked door you have to reveal all the keys on the screen at the same time ah neat and so like in this one you basically had to so you have to see the door so that's like your body and then you have like w- one arm up one arm diagonal and then there's another one that's sort of like oh no to the side. Somebody, so you have to lift your somebody leg give me an erection yeah <laughs> right that that or you have to like lift your leg up um and yeah just like just a bunch of clever really clever things so that I was always have an erection while i'm playing video games sure that's a joke well, so then sometimes maybe you will uh, have to have a hard time in levels where that's a detriment. You have to turn, you have to turn sideways, or not there's sideways. An enemy. There's an enemy right at boner level. Right. Yeah. So that's uh, those are the games that I saw at the experimental gameplay workshop. I'll talk about other like demos and stuff that I actually got to play elsewhere later in the podcast. What? Why? Because that's the. Oh, cause this is just what we've been doing. Oh, because that's not video games. Okay. Well, what video <laughs> games have you played? Like that briefcase thing, which okay. also wasn't. Yeah. Video so uh, at at GDC there was a whole section of games uh, in the alt.control.gdc, which is the alternative control. I saw that thing. so many times before I oh, got it. I had somebody had to explain it to me. I was like, "This why isn't it control alt GDC? That doesn't make <laughs> sense." And then I was like, "Oh, okay, fine." Um. So. Uh, also, you know what they didn't have was a fucking sign telling you where Alt Control GDC was, which made it very difficult to actually because f- we were the first people setting up, and so it made it very difficult finding out where we were supposed to go to set up. Um, but yeah, so Draken had two games in there which he had collaborated with other people on. One was Analog Defender, which is super neat, which is like a sort of like a Space Invaders game, but uh, you have you don't move your guy. Yeah, you have, but you have like a bunch of different kinds of attacks, and yeah, you have a bunch of control over your projectiles. Yeah, and and you have uh, a bunch of different things like a power meter and like a waveform generator and uh, what else? Different sort of modes that, yeah. that things can be. So if you want to hear a detailed description of this game from uh, Tom Francis, the guy yeah. who made uh, Gunpoint. Listen to the most recent Idle Thumbs Conf Grenade starring Tom Francis, because he talks about it a lot. Your controls are like this Switches weird old dials. school control panel yeah. with... So, I was confused when I played it to begin with, because I didn't realize on the top there is like an old style like patch cable. operator patch cable yeah. that you're moving between different things the only thing that that does is control the output the that you're seeing yeah. the, the the video display like all of the controls are hooked up and work whether you can see the meters that they're connected to or not so you can play it without having to spend a ton of time moving that thing around but right. you have to learn that yep but that's cool yeah uh, and the other game that he made was called bonus look which is a it's a single computer with two keyboards connected, but uh, one keyboard has all of the keys removed except the arrow keys, and the other one doesn't have arrow keys. And they're on opposite sides of the computer, so only one person gets to see the screen, and the other person has a map. And so one person is actually is moving around in this sort of multi-screen game, and the other one 
gets to see sort of the overall map of where they are. Um, but they, but th- scattered throughout the the game maze are a bunch of words and letters. And if those block progress, so the person on the other side the, with the full keyboard has to hit keys to allow the the, pl- the other player to move through. Yeah, like the whole that sort of this is kind of Draken's deal in some ways. Like the whole the map has a lot of just sort of like lines of of text, text. Yeah. on them, and when the player with the full keyboard hits a key, those letters become passable for the other guy. And so if you need to get through a hallway and the hallway contains the word this, you have to say to the person on the other side of this thing, I need you to hold down T-H-I and S so that I can get through this. But, and this is not even predictable. It varies based on the hardware of the keyboard. Like expensive keyboards are better at this than cheap keyboards. And he was using the random cheap keyboard from our closet. (sighs) Some keyboards won't let you press certain keys at the same time beyond a couple. Every keyboard can handle two keys pressed at the same time, Mm -hmm. but you can't always count on a given four keys to be pressable at the same time. Yeah, and it varies based on which letters you're pressing down and stuff. It is super... Yeah, in like super unpredictable ways. Yeah, it's So you have to be like, you have to say like, oh, okay, I need T and H... Now I'm standing on H, so I need H and I. Now I'm standing on I, so I need I and S. Okay, now I'm good. Oh, fuck, there's an enemy coming. Let go of R. Let go of R. Let go of R. And then you're yep. dead, and you have to start over at the most recent respawn point. Yeah. One of the one of the phrases that I have a picture of in the map is, which way, Mr. Wizard? Which is pretty good. Um, yeah, the person with the arrow keys is uh, meant to refer to themselves as the pilot, and the person with the full keyboard and the map is meant to refer to themselves as the wizard. Which, you know, most people do all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Uh, so then there was a game called RG Briefcase, which had 12 buttons on... It was a, Okay, so it was a physical briefcase, which had 12 buttons on it, four red, four green, four blue, um, and then a, uh, a headphone sort of a set of headphones coming out of the briefcase. And it was, a, it was supposed to be a like a phone handset that came out of it, but apparently that was too quiet inside a loud convention hall, so they just made it a set of headphones. Uh, and, and you'd put the headphones on and hit a button, and you would hear uh, uh, a note. And each button had... It wasn't exactly a note. It was like a, a bad jazz symphony sound, but in a sort of increasing pitch. Um, and then you would if you let go you would hear a series of three pitches and you'd have to match those three in order and if you got any of them wrong it would restart hmm. and so if you completed that it would get let you to the second phase where it did the exact same thing except for each time you got it wrong it would give you a new set of three tones so you had to get all three correct without making any mistakes um and if you did that then it would say congratulations You've you know you've un- you've gotten the right to unlock the the briefcase. Here is your access code, and then it played six um, telephone keypad notes, <laughs> and you had to figure out what what six numbers that referenced so that you could unlock the briefcase. Um, and then you had to call that number, and it was some Chinese lady who had no idea what the fuck we were talking about. <laughs> um, so apparently, it was only it was only opened once 
during all of GDC, and it was me and another another kid that had spent like half an hour messing with it. Nice. That would be a really good thing to put in a scavenger hunt style thing that yielded a phone number that was a phone number that was under your control, but you just had like your mom answer it and pretend that she didn't know what the person <laughs> what was, was talking going about, and that the the next step was to have to be really persistent about it, huh? Phone numbers or to say some embarrassing phrase, like something that you wouldn't want to say to somebody with your mom's voice. Because phone numbers are usually not the right thing because they often don't want people calling. Just they don't they don't want people to get things that look like phone numbers and calling them during a puzzle hunt. Well, this is only for conscientious puzzle designers, which that's not us. Okay, fair enough. Um, let's see here. What else did I play? Uh, I played. Uh, push me, pull you. I think is what it's called, or it might be push you, pull me. Um, it's another one of those sports frenzy type games. So it's two v two, and the way that it oh, works. Sports frenzy would be a good name for. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Um, the way that this one works is you control two halves of a person that is joined at the middle, and you've got two heads and two arms, and then like a weird worm body, and you are trying to manipulate a ball onto your side of the the playing field basically and like keep it in a certain area and so like one strategy is to like wrap yourself around the ball and like pull it over but the controls are a little weird and you excuse me and like the other team is trying to like pull you they can like try to pull you as a group over they can try to like get inside your like little protective spiral or whatever and it's just a lot of fun it's like a weird it feels strange um, to control, but it's like a really neat, fun game. Like contested physics games are just kind of inherently fun. Yeah, they like really Super are. Super Pole Riders is just you can't show someone a video and you can't describe it to someone right. in a way that really communicates. Like, ah, oh God, this is just. It's like it's like satisfying in the way that like wrestling with your brother was satisfying when you were a kid. Right. If you had a brother, uh, I just had to wrestle with a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bro has a has a sports game called Sme Sport, which is kind of funny because his Twitter handle is Sme Storp. Um, and Michael Bro is fucking delightful. Yeah, he's great. Um, and that is neat. That one is like that one's pretty hard to describe as well. It's seven different progress bars, basically that oscillate between red and blue depending on how much time you spend on them, and they're it is it also accelerates the closer you are to the leading edge so if you sit right next to like uh one of the progress bars as it's moving to the opponent's side it will move pretty fast and there's also a ball that is on the screen and you can pass between players and so like and that if you possess the ball it goes like five times as fast so having possession of the ball is important but also just just being in the right place and just trying to get the, the progress bars to move across the screen it's that it's like super hard to describe and it looks super abstract but it's really pretty clever and it's it's a neat game did you get like, to play it some yeah i played it a little bit um, i watched a bunch of people play who didn't know what the rules were and the game went on for a long time and then i played with a handful of people that actually did know what the rules were and it went much much faster and was like much more frenetic um so that was cool. I played a bunch of weird other random stuff like um, Raffle Pillar, which is you you get inside like a giant tube sock that is attached to a string, and then you lay down on the ground, and you look 
up at a screen and then you roll your body left or right to control how you move around a space and you're like a giant caterpillar um, mm. and you're trying to eat <laughs> apples and hit like and collide with the other players caterpillar because you knock off body segments every apple you eat gives you a new body segment every time you hit the other player you can like knock off body segments and then you um, you have a superpower which just like makes you go faster maybe invulnerable to being hit um, and it's just it's just weird it's it's it is kind of fun because it's very like full body engaging and like rolling around on the ground is kind of neat a novel way of playing a game but super strange I'm sad that when I started hearing about the kind of stuff that was alt.control.gdc, I was hoping that that game where you're trying to get away with shitting in the hot tub from the <laughs> LA Game Space Experimental Pack was going to be there, but it wasn't, and I was yeah. sad, because I would actually like to play that game. Like, that seems like it would be as fun as a lot of the stuff that you're describing, but I could understand why a conference organizer wouldn't be, wouldn't be, super, wouldn't be super stoked about, yeah, yeah, letting that through, but... I played a game that I'm forgetting the name of that was, uh, it was like a rocket ship that had like little guitar pedal controls on the ground and each of those controlled a single rocket at the bottom of, or like a single propeller propulsion unit at the bottom of this like spaceship and it was up to a five player game and then the trick was just, just trying to like get from one landing pad to another, sometimes like collecting a, a ball in between or whatever. And so it was really hard to to like coordinate everybody because everybody was super. Was it like a spring loaded pedal? Was it like a gas yeah. pedal or was it like, like a guitar a, pedal? Like where... a, sorry, like a gas pedal more. Okay, yeah. So I, I guess I don't know what that physically was. Well, there's pedal. I mean, you know what I mean, though, right? Like pedals that stay where they are when you let go of them. Yeah, like that one, would be way harder. That would than, no, no. Because like, I mean, a pedal, a, a gas pedal is sort of just like an analog button. Right. This right? one, this one was kind of like an analog button. Yeah. Um, and then God, there, like there was the Choosatron was there, which is basically just a choose your own adventure, but on a thermal printer that prints out the text as you're as you're making choices. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, right? I like, mean that's sort of like every game in that creative computing 100 basic computer games, like source code for basic games that predated the monitor yeah. right and you had to play them on a teletype yeah i mean that's I, I saw one that was like a mechanical uh typewriter that had been wired up for automated use and they they plugged frots or something into it oh neat i okay i kind of remember that like you were you would type your command and then yeah. it would take control and type type the response yeah man that's that would be such a good like one minute section of an interactive theater experience, mm. right? Like, I don't know about actually trying to play a video game on it, but, no, but just could, as a, you could like code an NPC ghost or something that you, yeah, exactly. Like that's, Oh God, that's good. You got a riff by an Arduino <laughs> and a typewriter. I played, uh, what else did I play? Oh, Muscle Cat Showdown, um, which is just sort of a weird, like, competitive game where you are trying to match a pose with your giant muscle cat. Um, and the controllers, somebody had made custom controllers for it. Like, they're just like Xbox controllers, but they uh, they were all furry and had a tail. It's kind of huh. cool. <laughs> um, I played... Uh, 
so there's a game called Alphabet in the LA yeah. game space thing. And that one was fun and like cool and like had a great little, you know, kids singing the alphabet Emily, song. Emily was singing that song for days. days yeah. And uh, and so that you know, that, that game is cool by itself, just playing on a like a regular keyboard or whatever, but they they put it on uh, four DDR pads where they just put the le- the the letters on the various like DDR spaces and stuff like that, and that made it so much harder and more fun. Um, and you just like play it with four people, just trying to get the everything to move, and it was great. And I don't remember, so that the game the way that, that game works is like each letter is a little character, and while you're holding them down, they're running. But they're on the higher levels. There's way more letters than there are things that you can actually hold down on a keyboard. So you have to like prioritize the ones in the back and they sort of push all the other letters forward and stuff but then you have to like jump over obstacles and that requires you know getting everything to jump over in sequence and stuff so it's it and you're just racing for time to get to the end of the level um surprisingly fun for how simple it is so that's like all the stuff that that i can remember that was all gdc i played a couple of other like pc games i played a a bunch of different variants on 2048 oh yeah the like match tiles to like get up to a to a high tile value i, I played that one i played the the doga 2048 <laughs> thing which is emily was super a little more excited random. about that i bounced off of it right away because i was like man you can't there's no there is no. yeah the there, number wang one is at least like number one is funny oh i didn't but, know there was a number wang one I'll have but to check that like out. incredibly difficult to play can you even? I yeah, because each, each tile is a different hue. So oh, you know okay. what matches, so, even though everything's the, like... But the, the display on them is random. I mean, yeah. the display on the Dog one was consistent, but, like, what the fuck is... It? Like, which one of these Dogs is right. double? Which other one of these Dogs? <laughs> and they also, unlike... I feel like they also, like, would let a bunch of random ones in at a much faster rate. So mm. it was just harder to, to strategize. And then there was the Fibonacci sequence one, oh. which is... a different game entirely because that one you're not matching doubles of tiles you're matching the two tiles that right. add up to the next fibonacci sequence tile and that is way harder to wrap your head around if you've gotten if you've gotten sort of into the 2048 mindset where you can sort of beat it regularly like the fibonacci sequence one is just a complete gear shift um but that's cool that that, that that's a thing um yeah, that's that's about it. What about you, Zach? Uh, I played a bunch of Diablo three, uh, both before the expansion came out and then a little bit after the mm. expansion came out. It's Diablo three. Yeah, I got my. Uh, I decided to take advantage of the all the bonus XPs and get mm. my wizard up to level sixty. Also, yeah. but then when it came time to play the expansion, I just I just played my barbarian. Oh, you didn't make a new character. I I did actually last night. I made a. Uh, and this was, I don't know why I didn't think of this, but once you've beaten Act 5, which it's possible that I played for longer than I thought, but the actual new content of the expansion, like playing through it once, I feel like took like a couple hours. Like People were saying that they'd played for four or five hours and hadn't finished it, so I don't, I don't know. Huh. I mean, I guess I could be imagining it, but I also don't... 
like Diablo 3's level generation makes me not give a shit whether I exhaustively explore it or uh, not. Interesting. Because there's not like a guarantee that there's going to be anything interesting in any given level. Hmm. So like going to a new level is exactly the same thing as going to a different part of the existing level, only it's faster to go to a new level. Huh. Like because there's nothing that really comes out of the there, level gen. There are a bunch of cool one-off spaces that they have and events yeah, and there, stuff. Yeah, there's like the event, but like but you're just as likely to get an event on the next level as you are to be able to find one on this level, right? Like, I the way that I find the way that I find it satisfying to play Diablo three is just forward, 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 and occasionally there is an interesting diversion that presents itself, and then you can explore that. And there seems to be a lot more of that in this. Well, that's good. Um, like. One level in particular, there's there's one of the environments, there's like sort of three new tile sets in the expansion, and one of them is a real dense city that you're in, and mm. there are just like door after door after door that you can go into, and there's just something in there. Nice. Um, and that's great. Uh, I, had, I didn't see a ton of it in, like, the swamp, there's the second new area and like that just went in one eye and out the other like I don't remember anything <laughs> interesting happening the entire time so was it like a laser beam when it came out and then there's this kind of cool I guess it's a it's a sort of a redo of an environment from Diablo 2 uh, the pandemonium fortress which is just all of these sort of like floating pathways and like teleport gates between them, which makes the geometry of the level somewhat more interesting. Mm-hmm. Although it is more or less just a hallway. It's just a weird crooked hallway. Um, is it like a maze? Or? Nope. Oh. Nothing in Diablo three is like a maze. Like you can essentially just keep going and you almost never even have to backtrack. I don't to find feel like that was true at all. It was my play. Mm. Like know. the the what the cathedral level was was very maze like, and like I would always hit dead ends and have to go back. And the, what was the the when you go to heaven or whatever that is the like, I feel like I was always hitting dead ends up in there. Mm, I don't know. I feel like generally I'll just hug the left wall like your typical maze thing and almost always get to the exit while only having traversed like half the level, hmm. um, which. I just, I don't know. It led me to believe that some of the level generation in Diablo 3 is sort of ad hoc after you've started it. Like, where it just decides, okay, this guy's been exploring this level long enough, the next square he goes into is going to have the exit in Hmm. it. And I can't prove that, but it feels like that to me. Um, Once you beat the act five storyline god it's just it's just so i don't care about the story of diablo it is weird that it is it was pointed out that it was like i guess it was like the creighton crowbar podcast where they were talking about this like it is so hokey that the only thing keeping it together is the fact that they are so earnest about the whole thing. <laughs> like if they were to if they were to acknowledge even a little bit that this is silly, it would just turn into World of Warcraft and there would be gnomes on fucking motorcycles everywhere and it would just be a shit show. Yeah, that's kind of how Warhammer 40K is. 
It's just all gnomes on motorcycles. No. It's, so once you finish, it's, it's completely it's totally serious, but it's played so completely serious and grim dark that it's that it that it works. Like I am guessing that there were no like zones where every NPC was just a rearrange like a spoonerism of the characters from some Star Wars scene or whatever kind of dumb bullshit they do in World of Warcraft all the time Um, because it's like they they let poop guy design a whole (laughs) zone this time you know one of these days we're gonna meet poop guy and he's probably gonna be great yeah but yeah right now he's just poop guy after you've finished it uh, it unlocks this mode called Adventure Mode, which is weird because I feel like Adventure used to mean like campaign. Mm. You know, Adventure used to be like the opposite of Sandbox, whereas now Adventure just is Sandbox. Like, it puts you in a random hub town, a random act. Okay. Um, unlocks all the waypoints. You can teleport to any waypoint from anywhere. Like, you open the map, and you can just town portal to any waypoint, which might be the case in regular Diablo 3. I don't know. Um, It randomly places five bounties at waypoints. They're not near the waypoint, necessarily. Sometimes they are. Sometimes you just go, and you have to explore the, the area to find it. Often, I'd say most of the time, it's just a boss to kill. Sometimes it's like, you know, the butcher or whatever the boss is for that area if it picks an area with a boss in the normal Mm storyline play Uh, sometimes it's just a a light source monster that it's generated sometimes the bounty is the successful completion of an event so it will Hmm. generate a map ensure or check to see whether there is one of those random events in it and if so that's your goal for that which is pretty cool actually because it lets you go see all of those yeah so you go in and it takes I don't know half hour 45 minutes to do all five of the bounties you just get these big like experience boosts and big piles of gold for doing it and then you get you get a like a a chest full of items but it also drops these like keystone things where when you get five of them and i think maybe you have to do six bounties to get five stones so you can't just do one bounty run and then and then do this thing there's a thing in town that you can interact with that opens a portal to like a super, super randomized set of levels where you go into one and it's just like randomly randomly generated level name one. And then when you find the exit, it just takes you to another randomly selected tile set. And it also like one of the ones that I went to yesterday was like this is the snow-covered battlefield from Act 3 except that all of the lighting is red and instead of snow there's fire everywhere like it randomizes a lot of the environmental effects Weird. and the lighting and the color schemes and all of the enemies are just like fucking whatever from wherever like it is just full on <laughs> random with all the stops pulled out your goal there is to just keep killing dudes until this you killed enough dudes meter fills up and then it spawns a boss okay which then is just another super random boss and then you beat that boss and then I don't even actually know what you get you get an exit for beating <laughs> that boss I went into one where it was just one level and there were like pretty much just enough enemies on it to finish the meter up because I got to the end of it and I was like, oh, okay, I still have a little bit left on this meter. So I guess I'll go back and find the guys I missed and kill them and then spawn the boss. Um, Hmm. 
There's this currency called blood shards because it's super serious <laughs> that you spend on just like generate a rare. Like it's just gambling. Right. Right. But apparently legendaries can fall out of that. Huh. I don't know. I, you know, it's I keep going back to it, but I think it's not because it's fun. It's because I'm kind of depressed. Like, huh. I think you can tell when I'm kind of depressed because it's when I play a lot of Diablo 3. Interesting. This is a little weird because at what what are the odds of me getting kind of depressed around the same time that a Diablo 3 expansion comes <laughs> out? Probably slim. Maybe I'm interpreting things. Maybe you're depressed because incorrectly. Diablo oh yeah, maybe I'm sad out. because it came out and I haven't like gotten a guy to the new level cap yet, so I oh, don't what is really the new level know cap? Uh, 70. But there's, okay. then there's all those Paragon levels, so most of the people who are at 60 are actually like 60 plus 100 or whatever bullshit. I don't really understand. Okay. Anyway, it's it's Diablo 3. I like the new tile sets. I like running around a city. Is it like 40 bucks for the expansion or something? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay. You get a, well, it's 40 bucks, but, but you get a free pack of Hearthstone cards. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you buy the collector's edition, you get three free packs of Hearthstone cards. And then, if you win three Hearthstone matches, you get a World of Warcraft mount. I guess. I haven't logged on to World of Warcraft since I got it. But apparently I got one of those. They're, like, integrated as fuck now. They're going full Valve. Like, every... Every World of Warcraft thing has some Team Fortress 2 hats in it. And every Diablo (laughs) 3 thing has some Team Fortress 2 hats in it. <clears throat> if you uh, beat if you beat the final boss of World of Warcraft, you unlock Half Life Three. <laughs> oh, the final boss of World of Warcraft is Gordon Freeman. <laughs> oh shit! It's like a paradox. Loop. Except it's like Norden Bremen, <laughs> the gnomish scientist, uh, and all of the jokes are about how he doesn't talk. Um, so I also played a an iOS game which. This is, it's so fucking good. I played it for like an hour last night instead of going to sleep. Uh, it is called Flappy Golf. It is by the people who made Super Stickman Golf. And it is just a fucking golf game where your controls are either do Flappy Bird motion to the right or do Flappy Bird motion to the left. So it's just like give this ball some diagonal velocity. And so it's... And then the par is like, how many times did you flap? And so there's like a gold, silver, and bronze for like getting... And and it's pretty easy. It's, you know, I'm not going past a hole until I get gold on it. It's a lot more forgiving than Super Stickman Golf because Super Stickman Golf, you have to play an entire course. And if you're over par for the course, you don't unlock the next course. And you have a limited number of restarts. Jesus. Yeah. It, but I mean, it's a fucking video game. I mean, it's it's like okay that it's hard. It's only in contrast with this one that sure. it seems like a big deal. But it's just fun. Different worlds with different sort of characteristics, like the one that I just finished playing, a set of ten or twelve or however many holes, where a lot of the walls are sticky. So instead of having to like fight against your own momentum to change directions you'll like find the right place to get stuck to the wall so that you can just jump off of it in the other direction mm. and get to the hole faster. I don't know, it's just good. It's a good game. Flappy golf. Beyond that, let's see. My notes say analog defender and bonus look. 
which we already talked about. Okay. Um, the only story I had from GDC was the Device 6 booth oh, yeah. was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah? It just had a little minor puzzle. The game wasn't playable. There was just a, a little puzzle on it that you'd look around the booth and find some things, and then that resolved to a website. And then the website just kind of wasn't anything. It's kind of an ad for Device 6. Yeah, Were you which is fine. I mean, what their, their weird little puzzle business card packets? No, I didn't actually run into anybody from Samogo. Oh, bummer. Yeah, it's too bad. Oh, man, I forgot to... One guy, uh, one of the guys from... Uh, what's that fucking fake Google Maps in Space game? Uh, Google Maps in Space? The game where you're you're supposedly controlling a rover and oh, you... Oh, uh, Extrasolar. Extrasolar, yeah. One of those guys came up to us in between us getting hit in the face with frisbees and was trying to get my business card because he had just right. he had created a little arg for himself uh, to get all of the asymmetric business cards <laughs> because they all have different you characters on them. You make a dead drop. You didn't do it, did you? I was supposed to and I fucking forgot. Wow. I forgot to take a bit. I told him, all right, tomorrow I'm going to go to your IGF booth and whether you're there or not, I'm going to put one of my business cards underneath the laptop on which Extra Solar is being demoed, and I fucking forgot to do it. Oh, we need to. That's so sad. That guy's going to be so sad. We're, we'll have to mail him one. Our business cards are totally like a like a shitty art CCG. We should mail them a box that appears to be empty because it's just like full of packing peanuts and other random empty boxes, <laughs> but it's actually like embedded in the. In the cardboard somewhere, like in yeah, in just the, slide business cards underneath the flaps in the bottom, or something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Put it under the address label. Oh yeah. Yeah, that works. All right. Well, hope that guy doesn't listen. Riff. His surprise will be ruined. Yes. Riff. What video games have you been playing? Is it Dark Souls Two? Pretty much exclusively Dark Souls Two. Yeah, it totally got its hooks into me. After, did you play like a, a lot of Dark of Souls 1? I did not play any Dark Souls 1 because huh. I did not... Fe- I, it's From everything I heard about the game, it seemed to me that I would not have the patience to get through it. Uh, and I think that might still be true about Dark Souls 1, but they made really? some mechanical alterations in Dark Souls 2 that, that made it I, a lot more accessible. I think that you could have dealt with Dark Souls One. I got into possibly, it. Possibly, possibly. I I would end up, I would end up doing a shit ton of grinding, um, but I'm doing that anyway in Dark Souls <laughs> Two. So you know, hey, who knows? Who knows? So tell me, tell me about Dark Souls Two. As somebody who's never played Demon Souls or Dark Souls, like, how would you, how would you characterize this game? Um, well, okay, uh, from simple parts, it's, uh, behind the, you know, over the shoulder third person action adventure game, um, heavy in exploration, um, the, uh, there are no trivial enemies, like anybody can kill you if you're not careful. Okay. Um, are there some enemies that are easier and some that are harder? Well, yeah, yeah. There, there are definitely okay. early, early enemies, and there are later enemies, and there are bosses. But okay. just because, just because you're leveled up in later in the game and go back to an early area, it, it, you can still screw up fighting those those early guys and get killed. Huh. Do you take da- like? Do you have persistent damage? Like how how does that work if you're continuing to fight a sequence of guys? And you get hurt. 
do you have to heal up in some way or do you like uh yeah i mean you've got uh you've got a health meter um you have uh uh potions that, well they're it's called an estus flask which has a number of health potions in it okay and, which, and you as the game goes on you find items that upgrade your flask Okay. Um, your flask refills every time you rest at a at a bonfire, which is the game's checkpoints. Okay. Um, you have um, your both your currency and your experience uh, is souls, which you get by killing dudes. If you get killed, you drop all your souls on the ground in a pile, okay. and you then have to make your way back there through all the guys that have respawned right. and and to touch your soul pile to reclaim your souls. If, if you die again, if you, do you die again, gone? they are gone. So when you say they're both it's both your experience and your currency, do you do you then spend experience to like uh cement a level up or something or Yeah, you spend uh every um like every stat point that you gain is is a level. So like you and so, like, it starts off that a level, which is one one stat point of your choice, will mm-hmm. cost, like, I think it was, like, 900-odd souls. And okay. then every one you buy, that number goes up. So the where I am in the game right now, it cost me about 10,000 souls to get a stat point. Do you get one soul per enemy? Uh, no, it's it's various. The, the, guys, okay. the guys that I've been working on in the area that I'm in now are... Uh, 700 to 1500 depending on the guy oh wow so you only have to kill like 10 guys to level up yeah yeah but killing a guy is harder than you think of killing a guy as like okay it's are they equivalent is each guy kind of like equivalent to a boss fight in another game or something no not exactly but they're not on the guy you're never going to swing a sword and kill five guys right Mm mm-hmm uh, like I have only just gotten to the point where the the very earliest enemies I can one shot. No, any guy can kill you if you're not careful. Right, yet. that's what that's what Riff was saying. So the the big the big change that they made to the game from Dark Souls One uh, that that has has basically made it that I can stand to play it. I think is that rather than enemies always respawning whenever you rest at a checkpoint. They it once you've killed a guy now I think like twelve or fifteen times he stops respawning permanently. Doesn't that also make it harder to grind? Yes, though? that it is. It is definitely a makes it easier but makes it harder proposition. Doesn't that mean that you could theoretically screw yourself in this game because you could kill a bunch of guys? Right, get right up to the point where you were going to level die mm-hmm. and lose all those souls. The the what the the first like I don't know three or four hours. My first play session ended in in huge frustration because of basically exactly that problem of losing all these souls and therefore basically flushing hours of my time down the toilet. Uh, what I eventually had to do was just declare to myself that as soon as I acquire enough souls to level up. I'm going back to town to level up, regardless of the fact that it means everybody's going to respawn. And if that means that my progress is incredibly slow because I effectively have to destroy everybody in the level so hard that they don't come back before I can get to the end of that level, 
then that's basically okay with me because I don't mind spending a lot of time grinding in a game. It's it's just if I spend a lot of time without getting anything out of it, it that's that's when I get frustrated. I see. Um, but uh, but yeah. Oh, so uh, uh, it seemed like you were about to make the point that you can you can screw yourself by losing all the souls from the guys that now no longer respawn. Yes. The yes. there is an item in the game um, called a bonfire ascetic, which you can burn in any location's bonfire, and it resets that zone. Okay. Uh, brings all the guys back. Brings back all the like just like all the placed treasures that you can find on the ground. Basically everything in that zone is put back the way it was at the beginning, except for treasure chests. But it also boosts the difficulty of that zone by one plus as in new game plus. Okay. So that zone, all the guys are back and they're all worth more souls, but they are also like a difficulty level higher than previous. That doesn't seem to help the situation if you're having trouble surviving anyway. Mm. It's uh, it's not an easy game, but it's not an unfair game. <laughs> the game is also, it's, I, I mean, I, this this might be naive, but it is a game that is, as I understand it, more about your skill at playing it than it is about your character's stats, like. Yeah. The best weapon in the game does not do twice as much damage as the worst weapon in the game. Hmm. Like, I went pre almost. I went. Uh, I I estimate that I'm about halfway through the game, and I went probably two thirds of my total playtime wearing the same set of armor that I started the game with. So that's like, I've played for about sixty hours now, and and. Uh, tw- Probably forty hours of that were just in my hard leather hard leather armor that I started out with, because the the decisions that you have to make of how good is this armor compared to how how much does it weigh are so important, and I just could not find a set of armor that suited the way I was playing better. When I read about serious people playing Dark Souls One and having to do almost fighting game level of like frame recognition on when to repost and parry Mm. and stuff. It made, it gave me that chess feeling like, all right, I'm not interested in getting any better at this. Cause like, I don't mind like blocking and swinging a sword and I don't mind like learning how to do that precisely. But like that, it, shit that was described seemed like a step too far. I, I That hasn't been my experience, that I need to be able to recognize individual frames. Uh, for me, it's all been, uh, dude swinging his sword, roll now, roll in this direction, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. Your basic adventure fighting game stuff, you just need to be more careful than you otherwise would. You cannot button mash at all. You You have to be, you have to be moving in and out constantly, you know, try and taunt a guy into attacking you so that you can dive out of the way and then dive back in while he's recovering to to put in like one hit on him and then get back out of the way again before he reattacks. 
you you can't just dive at a guy and and hit attack over and over because he you will almost certainly get interrupted and destroyed. Well, cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's but once once I got into it, it's super exciting. It's because the 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 fighting, like every fight, is exciting. Like I I, I wouldn't go so far as to say every fight is interesting because I mean there's only so many times you can fight the same guy, but uh, you still have to pay attention to every fight. So it's. Hmm. It's still compelling, and the the environments are really interesting, and uh, uh, it's 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 uh, it rewards careful exploration and attention to detail, uh, really nicely. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It sounds fun. People are people seem to be enjoying it on the interwebs. Yeah, I'm just excited for it to come out on the PC so I can play it. When is that happening? Yeah, a couple weeks. So have you guys heard about this uh, this Facebook yeah. purchasing Oculus deal? I didn't hear about anything other other than that today. <laughs> yeah. People will not shut up about it. People are flipping their shit. Yep. Not to be that guy, but I feel like Oculus Rift was likely to be an irrelevant blip on you think? history anyway, and this doesn't really change mm. that. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. I think I think we're finally at the point in technology where where a, a real hardcore uh, VR headset like that was actually feasible. Yeah, I mean, I'm I don't curious. see it becoming the way that people play video games. Why? Because it's uncomfortable and... Do you don't think that's a solvable problem? <sighs> Glasses aren't uncomfortable? I wouldn't say that it will become right. the way that people play video games, but I think it will certainly become a, a, a well-accepted medium to play a certain kind of video games, you know? Like, I, don't, like, I don't think iPads are going to become the be-all and end-all of video games either, but there are certainly a lot of good video games that take advantage of iPads' touch technology. People wear, like, uh, ski masks all the time. Ski goggles. Mm -hmm. That's true. When they're skiing, they yeah. do. Well, and so when you're playing a video game, you can wear a video game <clears> mask. <laughs> well, no, because the thing about ski goggles is that you can still see whether somebody's in the room to know whether you can start jerking off or not. You know, at the top of your mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, the... There's a long way to go before it's genuinely important, is what I'm saying. Like, it is not categorically different than anything we've had before. It's just the same thing at a higher fidelity, which, granted, there's probably a lot of other things that are important that you could say that about, but, like... Yeah. And you gotta start somewhere. The technology that is developed for this will, you know, have import when they eventually just can tap your visual cortex directly and feed images directly into your brain, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they don't need to worry about binocular vision at that point. Like, if they have absolute control over what you're seeing, they don't... Sure, but... Like, they can also just inject some anti-nausea chemicals and not have to solve that problem, right? Like, just when we went to that thing and, this, and the 
CEO of Oculus was like, we are so close to making it so most people don't get sick when we use this product. <laughs> like, that did not sound like a revolution to me. That sounded right. That sounded like the the optimism of one month after a round of venture funding. <laughs> like yeah, I, I'm. I am willing to to suspend my judgment and just let them keep working on this thing and see what happens with yeah. it. Because I've been, I've been. I don't know. It's it, it. The the sort of stuff that you could do with a VR set like that is pretty exciting to me. I've been waiting pretty eagerly for the uh, consumer model to to come out. Um, I'm I'm a little wary of this Facebook thing, but I'm willing to give the dude the benefit of the doubt he was all doing trying to do damage control on reddit today right. talking about how this doesn't change how there are still all about the games and how you're not going to have to log into facebook to to get on it and things like that and you know i'm willing to to trust him enough to see what happens uh rather than yeah i don't i don't think the, the facebook over like everyone else is doing but i don't think the facebook acquisition is going to have any real effect on it one way or another yeah. I mean, I think if it fails, now the assholes of the world have Facebook to blame for that yeah. instead of fair enough. Whatever. The number of people who are upset about it having been a Kickstarter. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, because I don't. I feel like I that don't betrays that a weird lack all. of understanding of how Kickstarter works and is organized. But maybe that's just a feature of Kickstarter is that no one understands what it is. Yeah, I mean, like, my take on that earlier today was, like, Kickstarter is a thing that is pretty much guaranteed to be improperly understood by the kind of person who's going to be loud and angry about things on the internet. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Like, the notion that everyone who backed that Kickstarter should get a share of that $2 billion is... No, no, is the dumbest thing I've ever that's heard. Completely dumb. I mean, I can I can understand a little bit the people that that feel that since it started out as a Kickstarter that it was that it was more of a big like indie community thing, and that selling out to to a corporation like Facebook is sort of backstabbing that community. But yeah, the idea that anybody is is owed any more than the Kickstarter rewards that they got is seems foolish to me i mean i feel like the people who were drinking coffee at starbucks back when starbucks was a kiosk in whatever mall it started in hmm. are in the same position that the people who backed the oculus kickstarter are which is to say no interesting or meaningful position at all <laughs> except that it's kind of a frustrating story yeah, I mean, it's it it's just these are just emotional responses, and I think this is going to blow over. Yeah. You know, people don't. I don't think people really give a shit with any of the other Kickstarter projects that have been purchased for a bunch of money by co companies because they didn't have emotional reactions to the companies that bought them, hmm. or they weren't like the 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 deal wasn't announced as publicly or as loudly. Yeah, it's so. it's kind of a perfect storm between everybody was was super like super indie love about oculus and also super hatred of evil facebook and right. so you mix those two things together and it's, just, whew, it's a gnashing and wailing yeah john john carmack now works for 
Yeah. Facebook. For Bark Zuckerfur. Bark Zuckerfur. <laughs> uh, Zark Fuckerberg. <laughs> King, um, King did their IPO, so they went uh, they went public and their stock price immediately dropped like 10, 10 or 20% or something. King also uh, bought all the lanyards for GDC this year, yeah. and there were some people like, oh man. What was the game that they were promoting? It was it was like the, the most ridiculous yeah, name. Yeah, Farm Hero Saga. Yeah, oh I'm pretty God. sure it was the name of it. It was like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, nice. I was like, that's got to be a joke, right? And I was like, I, I guess not. Like, no, it's King. Cool. Flash <laughs> of Flappy Threes, new <laughs> from King.com. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, there's that asshole using GameStop as a bank. Oh, right. oh God, yeah. That I don't understand how that's any more a bank than burying your money in a coffee can in, a in the can. backyard. It, it, it isn't. Well, it's less reliable. Okay, okay. certainly. Sure. <laughs> you get to I, piss off some GameStop employees. It, and it seems like the least convenient way to store your money yeah, anywhere. Ridiculous. Yeah, but it's, banks idea, are evil, man. Don't the you idea was that he didn't like he couldn't trust himself with the money or something, right? Like, is that what is that why he couldn't just I keep it in guess? a box? Yeah, he just couldn't put it under his mattress like a like a guy like from a red blooded American. Or, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. Like a spinster, sure. That's the worst music sharing service, spinster. I was thinking mm-hmm. maybe that's like an elderly DJ. Okay. Ah, oh, that's a that'd be a good name for an old lady DJ. Yeah. DJ Spinster. What kind of music would she play? Oh. Just like, huh. just uh, uh, harpsichord music. <laughs> just just <laughs> so spinning like, like, uh, record after record of harpsichord she, music. Like, Seventies and eighties TV she'd show. She'd match things. like like Heartbreak Jungle and Lawrence Welk. That no, would be kind of the interesting. I, jungle come from? I kind of like to hear that. No, just because, you know, because she's a DJ. <laughs> okay. Ah. Hey, this assignment. Yeah. The Gostack. The Gostack. Interesting. I, I, fe- I, I did not get as much of it played as I would have liked to, but it, it was interesting. Same here. I, I, I did not want to spoil it by using a walkthrough to get farther so i only got through the first two uh i don't i don't have my vocabulary list with me the first two glouds yeah yeah the like the the super easy ones that you can just basically use a single commands on or whatever yeah i mean the first one is obvious but the second one you have to like you have to witness a creature doing a certain verb and then try to use that verb and get told that that verb is only usable on things that are this adjective, this adjective, which happens to match one of the clouds. There are there are like four or five different verbs that that match that adjective. So I and I oh, only really? tried one. Yeah. Hmm. So I mean, they all might be synonyms for all I know. But I played a lot of this when it was contemporary, and I had forgotten most of it. And so what I did this time was I just played it, and if I thought a word meant a thing, I just looked it up in a glossary. To how often were you correct, and how often were you all, not? Always, because I I didn't I didn't get that far into it and I also didn't look unless I was pretty confident that I understood what was going on because huh. I just I've wanted to make sure like, that I wasn't written stuff down in my list of words and what I think they mean and then gone back and like oh yeah that's just totally wrong mm-hmm. yeah 
for a long time, I thought Reb was uh, like hold or have or whatever. Uh, and it's it's okay. it's, it's weird. It's weird that the game distinguishes between look and examine. Yeah. Which That's not necessarily un, that uncommon in standard IF. It is though. Like look look bag is treated as examine bag in inform just vanilla. Usually, yeah. But it's not unheard of that that a game would differentiate it's just it, sure it's not but it's not typical and so yeah. i feel like it's okay. a little bit of it's a little bit of a betrayal of the although the central conceit of the gostak is not you know how inform works right here's this weird puzzle so in a lot of ways that was probably me outsmarting myself i feel like i've gotten sort of inroads into the other clouds but not enough to really grok I, them i need to I, I, I feel like I probably should start mapping because I feel like I may have missed an area somewhere or something. I've only found, like, there's like a, there's there's the starting area, there's like a, another named area, and then what seems to be like a a path that goes yeah, around like the whole area road. or the, something. The, the gum way. The gum yeah. way, yeah. yeah. The, one of the glouds seems to require the, like, that you get a certain type of animal there, and it's not an animal that I've seen anywhere. Huh. I, I don't. There's there's a bunch of stuff I just don't know or understand yet, so it's hard for me to what talk about it. I found myself really wanting while I was playing this was a was a, and this isn't even like a command. This isn't part of the mm. game. This is a convenience thing. a f- convenience feature of the interface i wanted to just be able to tell the interpreter call lut exit hmm. and then every time the word lut appeared in the text it showed me exit and maybe it did so in a different color so i knew that it was so you something that, you might that be i had wrong. yeah that i might be wrong about it That's because i think that that would i think that that would create two situations one is the situation where it was much easier to play this game right because instead of having to write things down and constantly consult a table which consulting a table is not fun (laughs) but you also you start to learn the words like yeah i mean i thought about that like i was reminded in some ways of that weird archaeological dig thing that we did in columbus at the museum right and how after like a day of translating things into this alphabet, I eventually got to the point where I could just read it. Mm-hmm. There's no way I'd be able to do that now. In fact, the scroll that we got for winning is on my wall, like behind my computer at home. And fuck if I have any idea what it says. Like I would have to start over if I was going to do that. I didn't have time really. Like it, if I had had the right three hours in the right kind of mood to really get into that mode with this, which I did back in the day. Sure. Right. But it just all went away. And like, I, it, to me, it was like, if all I have to do to make this happen is the like mechanical act of checking against a table that I've made. I just wish that I could, I wish that I could just do it. Mm-hmm. I wish I could just have it do that for me because that's the kind of thing that computers do. I really liked the, the way that some of the language flowed though. Like I wrote down it's chinder rasks, a tarshan darf. 
Mm-hmm. Like, like they're just some of that just flows really it well. It sounds it's very really legit. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a, it's very like jabberwock. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. like it tips. It like sort of rolls off the tip of the tongue. I mean, the whole like the the origin of this was like a sort of a linguistic example sentence. The Gostak distims the dashes. Right. And Is that in it's just an example of like because of the way language works, mm-hmm. there are a bunch of things you know, even though you don't know what the three most important arguably parts of that sentence mean. Like, you know that the Gostak is an actor. You know that distim is an act. You know that the Dashes were distimmed by the Gostak. You know that the Gostak can distim well, things. You, you, know, you that know that Dashes those can things, be distimmed. If, those things, if, if that sentence is English in nature, but there are languages where that's not how the, the structure of the sentence goes. And you'd be making incorrect assumptions. You could come up with a counterexample to the principle that was trying to be expressed. Well, I'm just confused where that sentence comes right, from. Right, say this comes from a language where these things are numbers, so this is actually just somebody's pin for their bank account. <laughs> sure. Right. Right. Yeah. You are the worst person to have an academic discussion with about anything. Well, <laughs> like, uh, like, I'm just confused as to where, like, you're not giving me enough context, because, like, a, a, a random sentence taken from all the world's languages, like you can't make nearly as many assumptions about something, right? Like, if it's, if it's okay, an you got English me. sentence... You got me, and you got the original author. It's not an interesting sentence. Oh, Jesus Christ, what is your problem? I'm just trying to, I'm trying to contextualize what you're saying here. Like, if you're saying, this is an English sentence where you don't know a bunch of words, then yes, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, right? I, I, think, I think that is the point of the original. Okay, well, that's, that's all the context that I needed, right? Like... Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to demonstrate on the surface of the anecdote that I half knew that I was telling that there wasn't some mitigating factor that made everything meaningless. You, thank God you were here to keep me honest. I don't actually know where that sentence came from, or or what the specific context required, so that you didn't have to give it the benefit of the doubt was. I love you, Kevin. <laughs> So if you're if you come up with a sentence that has a bunch of words that don't make any fucking sense, why would I assume that you're saying this is an English sentence? Like that's that was what where my like confusion came from, right? Like I I think that the assumption was that you could trust the structure of the sentence to be what you expected it to be. And the point of the exercise was that a grammar that you accept is sufficient to produce a lot of of corollaries to information, even if you don't know the specific referent of the The statement that's being made. The fact that a lot of the connector words are English makes it way more comprehensible. If if they had just replaced everything with a different word i think it would have been it wouldn't be nigh i don't think nigh incomprehensible unless unless they i don't know unless they made all the connector words like very very short words so that you could make the reasonable guess that those i mean it would just it would make it a harder puzzle right it would make it much much harder the like they they do change some of the english syntax i feel like a little bit because they'll they'll use verbs and then they'll like verb at 
so oh, yeah. and so, which is yeah. not a way that you would say things in English unless I'm misunderstanding what those verbs. Yeah, are. they they did they they put at instead of to after what I think is talk. Yeah. yeah, and it is obviously talk because of what I know about inform. Right, right, but that's not. There was yeah there were I remember I got my first uh, my first half dozen or so words by by going into the help menu and oh yeah and yeah and, and saying oh, okay I I recognize the format of of this this uh, sentence so I know that they're talking about this particular command <laughs> so, I, I think that's intentional I think that's, yeah oh I think yeah that's definitely expected. but it's it's uh, it's amusing it, it kind of it kind of draws attention to why IF is such a niche community is because the things that win the IF comp are things that are interesting to people who are already so far up the ass of IF. This, this didn't win IF comp though. When it but it was in an IF. It was an yeah. IF comp entry. Yeah. Sure, that's true. But but what I'm saying is the things that rise to the surface as notable okay. in the IF. So this was written by the guy. This was weird. I just happened to say to the guys in the office, hey, do you know... Carl Muckenhaupt or whatever this guy I think the guy's name was Carl Muckenhaupt because I saw like oh this guy worked at Telltale at some point and they were like oh yeah that guy why and then I told them about this game and they were like wow I never even heard of that but that is the guy that runs Baff's interactive fiction guide hmm. so like this is made by Baff like this guy is like balls deep in the IF community since 2001 and it's like the game's that are notable that come out of IF are not they're not things that are comprehensible to someone who is not familiar with IF like they're they are things that explicitly like subvert the forms of IF that are so well trod in the minds of the people who who play a lot of IF or have you know have played some of it like the thing is, I don't think of myself as a guy that plays a lot of IF, but I have played more IF than almost everyone on Earth. Sure. Like, I have played more IF than almost everyone who plays video games. Yeah, like, yeah. even being a casual interactive fiction guy, I am like 99.9th percentile of everybody in terms of exposure to this stuff because it is so niche, niche within niche within niche. And so the stuff that rises out of it, like... We met one person that we knew from that scene, and uh, oh, this is my husband, this other guy that's one of the eight people you've heard of in this scene, <laughs> right? And there just aren't that many people doing this. And it's weird because there was a time we, at GDC, we saw the Zork, we saw a Zork postmortem mm -hmm. by Dave Lebling, who, man, Dave Lebling is every bit as charming as Eugene Jarvis is not. Eugene Jarvis being the guy who did the Robotron postmortem earlier in the day, oh, huh. which I was more interested in. Like, I was more excited about the Robotron postmortem than I was about the Zork postmortem, but that guy was just kind of insufferable. Really? And I don't like saying mean things about people, really, but, like, that guy got in the way of the information that he was trying to deliver oh, wow. so much, and Dave Lebling was charming as fuck. Like, he was just smart and funny and, like, had all kinds of interesting stories about Zork. <laughs> and he, like, wasn't trying to be snarky or... 
Like, he wasn't trying to be funny, but he was ten times as funny as the other guy. <laughs> Sorry, Eugene, if you're listening. What, Didn't get a what, chance to uh, meet you. Was that I like a, your... Did you say that was at a GDC? Was that the previous Yeah, one, yeah. They do, they do these... They've been doing these, like, classic game postmortems. I wonder if A couple years on, ago... I wonder if that's on video somewhere. It it's is in the GDC vault. So if you were a GDC attendee, uh, which maybe we can... Maybe we can hook you up. We okay. might know a guy. Um, <laughs> but he... He was telling these stories that were from a time when IF was video games, essentially. Right. Right? Like, there was... Hmm. Infocom was hugely successful as a computer game company making text adventures because text adventures were, like, the one thing that would reliably run on every platform. So they were the only thing that could get anything like a like a critical mass mm-hmm. of people who, who knew about a thing. And that is so fucking weird. You know, and it's weird that, like, a you know, three years after that, it was, like, Space Quest. Well, because they, they figured out, Z, like, the Z-Machine interpretation problem, which was kind of a clever, like computation yeah i mean they sort of like they sort of like invented emulation at the same time as they were trying to figure out how to like get this mainframe game onto microcomputers um and also like zork was originally zork one two and three on the mainframe and then they just broke it into three games over the years and then the sorcerer enchanter and sorcerer and spellbreaker were like effectively zork four five and six i i never really i mean i knew they took place in the same world but i didn't really understand that they were that exact lineage mm-hmm. um but this game the gostak i think would be basically incomprehensible to someone who wasn't already versed and that is what makes it so hard to get new people into if is do you think Draken's an if person because he talks very highly of this, and I wonder if this was one of his first IF exposures, and he viewed it as a just an interesting puzzle, systems puzzle. He is smarter than almost everybody and has a lot of patience for weird... Sure. ...and quasi-incomprehensible systems. I'm just trying to think of, And enjoys like, exploring those systems. No, you're, you're right. There, are, is there an well, audience like, for this? So, like, isn't? Jonathan Blow is also a big fan of the Gostak, okay. right? He probably played the same text adventures that we played growing up. Yeah. It's... It's weird, like, talking to... Like, Twine is so accessible compared right. to any Z Machine game, and it is weird that there is that friction in the IF community... Like, there is a part of me that thinks, all right, well, you can explain away the friction between traditional IF and Twine in terms of, like, the Zizzy Awards by saying writing for Twine is easier than writing for traditional IF because there's a lot smaller possibility space, there's a lot fewer Mm -hmm. sort of chains that you have to write for, and so it is easier to do good writing in Twine in the same way that it is easier to do good writing in a book than it is in either of those formats. Has anyone done Twine games where, like, you, you click on something and then it takes you to a menu It's like, how would you like to interact with this thing? Because like, it's... I don't know that anyone would bother. Really. Because that would be, a, like, a good halfway point between the interpreter and the Twine game, right? I'll bet you would lose a lot of people, though. That's... I wonder if... Huh. Interesting. 
I, I think that that writing argument is what you will say if you are an IF fan who is being kind of shitty about Twine and doesn't want a more accessible form that is also text. Like, right, you talk about, as an IF guy, you say, IF is just pure because it lets you use your imagination to decide what things are, and it's like, once you add graphics and once you add easier controls and once you add accessibility you just spoil it but then twine comes along and figures out a way to add accessibility without actually violating any of the precepts that you claim to hold so dear but what you actually are afraid of is not being the cool kid in the corner who understands the thing that nobody else understands anymore i think it's definitely true that you lose a lot of stuff going to twine from traditional if because you lose pretty much all of the exploration and figuring out like a, a twine there, there's a, twine there's a game. lot of exploration in some twine games but there is there is a lot of like there's a lot of mental brain space trying to trying to think of like what action can i perform here with which which is not prompted the way that it is in a twine game yeah i mean a twine twine is basically a choose your own adventure and i feel like that's an entirely different beast i understand I understand that those things are different because I know what traditional IF is. Mm-hmm. But what Twine is is Photopia did not really have like that was more just more or less just a linear progression, right? Like Photopia was an interesting example because it was a standout piece of IF that was closer to a Twine game yeah, than it, it was to it really a traditional IF game. Option. It had a little bit, but it also, the parts of it where you were exploring, it kind of went out of its way to convince you that you were exploring, even though you really weren't. There was right. no way to get lost. Right. Um, the, a <laughs> lot of Twine, a lot of, a lot of Photopia was just in dialogue trees. Right. Man, that guy. That's one of those guys like Darius Kazemi. We met Darius Kazemi this weekend who's the guy who uh, he does tinysubversions.com which just makes all kinds of cool shit just like constantly yeah like every week he just makes one or two things sometimes it's like a joke twitter bot sometimes it's like you know an html5 port of spelunky <laughs> like he's the one who did that spelunky level generation map thing like he's just fucking great i forget where i was going with this <laughs> adam uh, cadre yeah. who made photopia is another guy like that who Everything I've ever found that he's done has just been fucking great. He's just a guy that makes like... He does that Stochastic Planet blog, which is just that thing that picks a random place on Earth and then finds the, like, Imgur photograph that is the closest geotag to that. Mm. And so it's just like a randomized tour of the world. Stochastic Planet, S-T-O-C-H-A-S-T-I-C. It's a cool Tumblr. I think it's a Tumblr. I don't know if it's a Tumblr. If you make a Tumblr, does that count as making a thing? I think it does. Yeah. Depends on the Tumblr, sure. probably. What if like, it's just the same uh, the same picture of Dave Coulier every day? <laughs> I was going to say that, that that in and of itself is an object that you have created, but I would not say that it is like an ongoing project, right? Like making sure, a Tumblr where sure. you put a single post on it and then walk away from it isn't really making a thing, probably. Right. So you wouldn't say that the person who made the same picture of Dave Coulier every day.tumblr.com made a thing? Because I think that person made a thing. They made a single thing. Whereas, like, somebody who has a blog that they update and have a bunch of posts on is, like, somebody who's making a bunch of things. Continuing to make things. But I think if if we spent an hour making a a bot that generated random text and then post that to Twitter Mm -hmm. every day, 
is that different? Is that categorically having made more of a thing than the same picture of Dave Coulier everyday.tumblr.com did? Because we didn't really spend any more time on it. But you made you made a thing that makes things. Uh, uh, does making a robot that makes popcorns? <laughs> Are you making popcorns? I mean, for the rest so of did your the life? same picture of Dave Coulier every day, guy. He just made a thing that makes the same thing every day. Hmm. Like I could see if he just posted it once. If it was just a picture of DaveCoulier.com. <laughs> then that's one thing. But you can put this in an RSS feed, and this provides a service to you that every day you get the same picture of Dave Coulier. I, really I don't wanted... think that's categorically different than, like, a guy who wrote a novel. I wanted somebody to make a... <laughs> Jesus. I wanted uh, somebody to make a, a website that was the countdown for Laura Palmer being, like, the 25-year... I'll, I'll see you in 25 years thing. The mm. same way they did the... Um, time machine setting from Back to the Future. Oh, okay. Because like that would that would have been a funny meme to like see like every day. Oh, today's the day that Laura Palmer's coming back, and then just see that every day for a couple Man, of weeks. So that would be just hilarious. That was weird. The guys in the office who know the guy that is doing that Back to the Future thing were so excited about that, and then when Josh discovered it, he was so pissed. Really? Yeah. Why? Because he's like, it ruins it. Because now no one gets to do the thing where it's actually accurate. Yes, they and do. I'm like, it's so much better this way. Yeah, like it it's is hilarious. so much better this way than the what like to to subvert the trope of like, can you believe this is the day from some 25 years ago vision of the far flung future that that whatever happened? Like, it is so much better to have a thing that just turns that on its head and reminds you how dumb and pointless everything is and how we're all just going to die and it'll be exactly as though none of this ever happened. Well, I was going to say how important it is to, like, check your fucking sources every once in a while, like, you know, like... And I think he would argue that it's not important to check your sources about bullshit joke things on Facebook. I'm... Like, right, I, that the whole point I of Facebook is some stuff that you can just enjoy. I don't enjoy. typically invoke the slippery slope, but I think if you don't like, if you don't check your sources there, you're probably also not checking your sources on like whether or not we're at war with Russia or whatever, right? Like you're just like, guess we're not at war with Russia, even though we're like knocking them out of the G8 and looking to sanction them and stuff like that. You know, like I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that there is a slope. That has both. This is the <laughs> day the from. Future. This is the day from Back to the Future Two, uh-huh. and Obama is a socialist Muslim on it, right? Like I, th- sure there is. I don't think there is. I, I do, like. I think you. I think you could roll down that slope in under five hours. I mean, I guess if you, if you just. If you're just defining your terms by whatever supports your contention, then then yes, well, you're right. Not if only you're making like the that, bullshit argument about the make up shit to support my contention, and you won't even know. <sighs> Man, Kevin is a liar. <laughs> this is what I've learned. All right, guys, what's our next assignment? 
Uh, Riff. We're going to try and play Mercenary Kings. Um, I say try for me and Kevin who are using Mac because the last time I checked, the Mac version was broken. But they, they've stated that they're working to get that back up and on Steam as quickly as possible. But for those of you who have a PC, it is Mercenary Kings, which is kind of a... Uh, it's like Metal Slug with crafting, and all the art is done, art and animation is done by uh, Paul Robertson, who is the guy who did the art and animation for the Scott Pilgrim game, and uh, th- that old video you might have seen, uh, Pirate Babies Cabana Battle Street Fight 2006, I think it was, which is pretty did cool. You guys, did you play, Riff, the um, Scott Pilgrim game? Uh, I never beat it, but I played some of it. It was pretty cool. I played a little bit of it. Yeah. I. I really liked the way that it looked, and yeah. I liked the way that it played, like because I like River City Ransom, mm-hmm. and in fact, uh, I was an enthusiastic backer of the River City Ransom Revengeance or whatever Kickstarter, uh, where some indie company apparently secured the rights to make a River City Ransom sequel. One of these days, we got to play River City Ransom if we haven't already as an assignment. We Did we ever idea. do it? I don't it think is so. a, it is, it is a weirdly good Nintendo game. Hmm. It like. It has a surprising amount going on for what it is. I task Riff with adding that to our uh, yeah. list of games. Alrighty. The Scott Pilgrim game, though, like, I found the gameplay super, super frustrating. Like, it was so slow to move around. Like, there were there was this, this, like, perfect storm of things that made me just put away that game in disgust. It was really slow to move around, and every time you beat somebody up, it just spread coins everywhere, okay. and then you had to walk real uh, right. slow to go get them. Every fucking time you killed a guy. It was so frustrating and dissatisfying. Did you not figure out how to run? Uh, maybe I didn't. Yeah, maybe I, all I had to do was hold down one of the triggers. I thought that would raise my shield. I was coming <laughs> off a Dark Souls kick. <laughs> ah, to hell with shields. Two, two, two fist those weapons and roll, baby. Ugh, no, you have to shield. Dex build. Dex build is the way to go. No way. Whatever makes shields work. I don't know. I didn't read a wiki. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that Dark Souls 2 articulates clearly a lot more of its mechanics than Dark Souls 1 did. It it does have... uh, uh, Well, I mean, I don't know what the tutorial is like in Dark Souls 1, but it it has some definite tutorializing in the first area. But I mean, even just in terms of, like, mouse-overs on stats describing what the fuck they do. Yeah, it it has the push-this-button to find out what all these things are. Although, I mean, even saying that, it's not not as much as some other games, because there's a stat called adaptability that people are still trying to figure out what all the fuck it does. (laughs) It seemed to have this thing where, like... There seems to be a a trope in Japanese interface design of if a thing has affinities to certain statistics in an RPG, that it gives them a letter grade in each statistic based on how important that statistic is to the use of the thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, like... Like uh, like bravely default does, 
Uh, I don't. It's been a while since I played that. I don't remember. Or like when you go to equip a weapon on a guy in Bravely Default. Oh, right, right. All of the weapons have letter grades because apparently there is a matrix of weapons and jobs that are how appropriate that weapon is to mm-hmm. that job. Based on something that I don't entirely understand, maybe it's some stat that I can see, but well, it's it like, seems like in Bravely like Default, maybe skill, it's some stat right? that I can't it's like, see. It's like a D&D cleric has E in swords, but A in maces, right? But I feel like a D&D cleric doesn't. The way they deal with that in D&D is they say a D&D cleric cannot use any bladed well, weapons. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not. But all other, but all non-bladed weapons. So, I mean, it's it's weird to just see it articulated like that. Where, like, this weapon has nine stats. And what those stats are is how important your that stat is in the effectiveness <laughs> of using this weapon. Which is not at all clear if, if somebody doesn't explain it to you. Mm-hmm. And... It, like, I saw it in Dark Souls, and then I saw it in Bravely Default, and I'm like, okay, is this just a way of expressing things that has has some, like, low-level cultural referent in Japan that makes it so it's easy for the audience there to understand this notation, and it is just a thing that we have to get used to? Like, are there things that I have gotten used to that fell out of just whatever random facet of Japanese numeracy that made it make sense in Dragon Quest 4 or whatever I, I think that I've just seen enough times that it makes sense and now I'm old so the new ones are starting to freak me out like this weird like what the fuck does it mean that this sword has an S in dexterity yeah, I think, also why is S better than A uh, super yeah it's super I guess the first time that I ever okay but what does the A stand for if the S is better than A because it's it stands just, for super that, I've seen that in a bunch no, of no it is systems. that's just a weird trope that where the fuck did that come from like report in, cards did you never get an S in anything what d- d- fucking you've met me before do I seem like a do I seem like an <laughs> overachiever to you <laughs> don't answer that I mean it's basically the same as as other skills and things except they're giving it a letter grade instead of a percentage or some other numerical value okay but skills are things that a sword does not have and that's that's why it's weird it's fundamentally a weird way of expressing that's weird for dark souls but that's not really what it's doing in bravely default I mean, it's saying what your rating would be if you were using it right it's saying your skill rating in maces is C rather than saying your skill rating in maces is three dots. So the first time that I ever saw E, I guess, or is it F? I don't know. D, C, B, A, S. S plus. And then S plus yeah. and S plus plus. plus, plus. Well, was I never in saw plus plus. But. This arcade game called Top Skater, which is that game where you are on a skateboard and the controller is also a skateboard that's on a pivot. Okay. So the the front the front of the skateboard is in a fixed location and you can you slide the back of it on an arc like it's a it's like a like a little god I don't know like a you know like a thing that's affixed at one end but not the other that swings back and forth in this arc. You can tilt it by leaning on it and then you can kick the front and you can kick the back. And so it's basically like a a one direction analog stick and then four buttons that you're using to make your dude do skateboard tricks. Okay. 
in a in a like PS one era, you know, with like maybe some Blink one eighty two on the soundtrack or some Pennywise. Mm-hmm. I remember there being some Pennywise. We used to go to the Peter Piper Pizza in like nineteen ninety nine and play this. The cool guys that I was with would play it while I played Egg Venture <laughs> because Egg Venture was the best game at Peter Piper Pizza. God damn it! I've got to find a fucking Egg Venture cabinet for Zapcon. You don't have to. do I it. do. I have to. I must. I own too many arcade games to not own Egg Venture at this point. Riff, did you know that I bought five more arcade games? I, because I heard, now I heard that more arcade games showed up in your garage. What? what yeah, they you... showed up. They showed up in Jenny's parking space, yeah. which I feel a little bad about. Although, you know what? She owes me bus fare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna cut that whole part out, so that is gonna make no fucking sense. <laughs> what? What games did you get? I don't remember. Oh, oh, we're going to need an intervention. <laughs> yeah. I have a business reason to buy arcade cabinets now. I was going to buy another pinball machine, but then I thought for the amount of money that I was going to spend on a pinball machine, I could buy 15 arcade cabinets. <laughs> and then I could supply most of the arcade cabinets for Zapcon just on my own. And then we wouldn't have to hassle as many people about providing arcade cabinets. And God damn it. Egg Venture. Egg Venture. Why don't I have Egg Venture? <laughs> It's got Welcome to the Adventurous World of Egg in Cooper Black. Uh, That sounds like it sounds like a TV commercial slogan for like the egg lobby in like 1984. Yeah, it's like the incredible edible egg, except it's the incredible shootable egg. Egg venture and not the old, not the shitty version they had at Duke's when we went back there, but the good version. version. Yeah. yeah, there was like a there was like a one point one firmware that fixed all the problems with Egg Venture, which so I would argue that it did not fix all the. problems. You haven't played the one point one. You enough. were not at Peter Piper Pizza in nineteen ninety nine with me and my cool friends who were off playing Top Skater. The Egg Venture at Peter Piper Pizza was fairly well balanced and fun. The the one point Egg Venture that just randomly showed up at my childhood arcade Mm -hmm. when we went back through there was really a mess. And I think I talked about it in a previous episode of Video Games Hot Dog. Where, like, there was unlimited ammo and sort of clip capacity. So almost none of the game levels were anything like a video game level. It was just, like, shoot as fast as you could pull the trigger and a quarter would last for fucking ever (laughs) on the 1.1 a quarter would still last a long time because realistically this is a game for fucking children (laughs) but you didn't feel like you were just being you didn't feel like it lasted forever because the game was bad you felt like it lasted forever because you were good so the 1.1 patch basically offloaded the failures of this game in a positive way onto the player rather than, like, really owning them as super shitty design flaws. Hmm. Anyway, anybody got a line on an Egg Venture cabinet? Should hit us up. Yeah, absolutely, because that is one thing. That is one thing that Zapcon needs. Also, Zapcon is next weekend. Oh, that's true. Two weekends from now? Two weekends It's from two now. weekends from now. It's a week from... If I publish this on Friday, then it is a week from this Saturday. Uh, April 12th? Sure. Uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, if you're there, at the at the Renaissance Hotel downtown. This is an event that, uh, this is our second year doing it. It was super, super fun last year. We got a lot more pre-registrations this year, so I think it's going to be really well attended. We got a lot of games, got a lot of arcade games, we got a lot of pinball games, we got a lot of, like, 
this terrifying whole thing that's happening that apparently we did mostly Wes. It's mostly Wes who was on on video games hot dog once. Yeah, I think we talked about uh, kicking a turret in the balls in Star Wars: The Old Republic. So that's around the time <laughs> that that episode happened. But yeah, no fucking zapcon dot com, z a p c o n dot com. That's a thing we paid five hundred dollars to a German man for. That's true. <laughs> um. Yeah. So also find us a better name that we don't have to pay five hundred dollars for the domain for. No, don't, because Zapcon is an it's awesome done. name. Yeah, it's sixletters.com. <laughs> so go to sixletters.com, pre-register for a Zapcon ticket. I got a cool ass badge printer, and Wes made some cool ass badge graphics. So you're gonna have a cool ass badge with your name on it, unless you don't pre-register. If you don't pre-register, if you just show up at the door like a fucking chump, you're gonna get a shitty wristband like a fucking chump would wear. Instead of a cool ass badge with your name on it, it's not an ass badge. Just to uh, it could to clarify, be. cool ranch badge. Uh, yeah. We're having uh, AdamandEve.com sponsor the lanyards, so it's actually just a hook on a butt plug. <laughs> you know, it beats King.com. <laughs> oh my Kevin, God. if somebody wanted to send us a listener's mail, not that they would. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't imagine. I can't imagine that anyone would want to communicate with us. Uh, you could tweet us at VG Hot Dog. You could email us vghotdog at gmail.com. Is that right? Or is it video games hot dog at gmail.com? It's vghotdog at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, or you could go to our website, uh, videogameshotdog.com, uh, where we have a forum that, where you can submit questions to the show. Or just Russian bride spam. That's true. Try and sell us some Cialis. Yep. Cialis? Russian bride team at punkmoms.eu or something. That's where a lot of my spam comes from. Oh, I didn't realize that was so... I thought that was a deliberately constructed joke email address. No. no. It wasn't Punk Moms. It was something else. It was so good. It was really good. It was so well it was constructed. Punk something. Dot EU. Punk Bank. Punk something. Russian Bride Team at Punk Bank. Dot EDU. Not EDU. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> oh. It was just EU. Oh, dot EU. Yeah. Wow. So this was much funnier when I didn't know what it was or what you said. <laughs> so basically, what I've learned is that I should just sit around with my fingers in my ears humming and making stuff up right. instead of listening to with you. Like sort of a little minimal inputs from the outside world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll like you, you would occasionally like funnier. hold up a card with a single letter on it just to kind of prompt it. Right. Yep. Madness. Gentlemen. Gentlemen, I've had a fantastic time yelling at you about stuff tonight <laughs> have a uh, have a wonderful week everyone <laughs> see you all later bye-bye praise the sun and then and then gorilla glass all you see is gorillas <laughs> <laughs>